In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks for joining us and happy Friday, friends. Friday. Woohoo. Uh, let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. And my d- ideal Game of Thrones ending is Jon Snow being consumed by fire from a dragon while he is holding a petition in his hand. Strong. Strong. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. And my ideal Thrones ending is Arya Stark heading west. And discovering America like a goddamn champ. So suck it, Columbus. Arya the Explorer. Boom. Uh, I'm Kelly Lawler. I watch television, and my ideal Game of Thrones ending is one that's written down and I purchase at a bookstore. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> nice burn. <laughs> if this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. Uh, while you're on Apple Podcasts, we would love it, love it, love it if you could write a quick review about the show. Because not only do you help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us, as an added bonus, we give you a very special shout out on the next episode. So everybody wins. It's great. Um, Before we begin, shout out to our followers on Twitter because we got some good feedback on last week's episode, which was about Disney and their live action remakes. Um, This from Keith White, who goes by the Twitter handle Final Dynasty. I can't believe the worst live action from the past few years was not included on general principle. No one asked for a remake of Pete's Dragon. I know it's not a true remake of an animated film. But there's absolutely no reason to remake it. I don't think I ever saw that. Did anybody see it? I liked it. You liked it? I mean, it's a it's really about a dog, so I was fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, shout out to Herbie Herb, who writes in, you guys are the best. Look forward to your show every happy Friday. Are you guys watching Star Trek Discovery and keeping up with all the Star Trek news? Haven't heard you mention. Thanks for the podcast. First off, thank you. Um, secondly, there is, I know, a new Star Trek show in the works, I think, with Patrick Stewart coming back. And then I think Discovery also may may have just wrapped up as well. Second season. Second mm-hmm. season. We're behind, but I have enjoyed what I have watched of the second season of Discovery. They did really great things since the end of last year. So all good stuff going around. <laughs> CBS All Access is actually really worth it. Highly recommend. Wow. Signed off by Kelly Lawler. <laughs> um, don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter we're at Mothership Pod, or you can email us to MothershipPod at usatoday.com. This week, in case you haven't heard, winter has ended. Here's a clip. The North is free, thanks to you. But they lost their king. Ned Stark's daughter will speak for them. 
She's the best they could ask for. That was from Game of Thrones, which wrapped its eighth and final season on HBO on Sunday. We learned the fate of many key characters, including Cersei, Danny, Jon Snow, as well as the big question, does anyone end up on the Iron Throne? Uh, before we start, a reminder that we are going way into spoiler town this week. So if you haven't watched the finale, if it's stuck on your DVR still, go ahead and watch it right now and then come back and listen. Oh, the Twitter spoiled it like a week ago. I read about, so, yeah, the, so, I read about the whole finale on Twitter, so it was yeah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. But anyway. Um, all right, so here we go. Let's dig in. Um, let's start here. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the greatest and 1 being the How I Met Your Mother finale. Uh, how I well... think 10 should be the 6 feet under finale. There we go. Ten is six feet under. One is how I met your mother. How well did Game of Thrones stick the landing with its final season and with this finale? Three. I'd say seven. Wow, that's two very different opinions here. Okay, we'll start with Kelly. Brian and I have never disagreed, Brett. Not once in our Not entire once. lives. This has been a very harmonious podcast for the last four plus years. So it's, it's kind of impressive <laughs> that we've survived this long without any argument. Um Okay, Kelly, since you're the TV guru and you also single-handedly kept our website alive for the last like couple weeks, <laughs> um, we'll start with you. Uh, what did the finale do wrong? It just felt like it was a different show to me. Um, I found the ending to be kind of saccharine and neat and tidy, and there was a lot of telling instead of showing, which all of our editors would be upset with. Um, the direction was rather poor, unfortunately, and it just... It was all a little anticlimactic and a little blah. And because of the way the show has been for so long, that is like kind of more of a crime on this show than if, um, you know, the middle on ABC had gone off with with a blah ending because it was never a show about crazy twists and lots of death. You know what I mean? You know, I found it to be better than How I Met Your Mother. I don't know if any finale can be as bad as How I Met Your Mother. Um, and I also, you know, Seinfeld bugged me a lot. Lost finale I really didn't like. But I didn't like this for the same reasons I didn't like the Lost finale, which was this sort of, like, easy, everybody gets a happy ending, their dream job, and 2.4 children kind of dealio. Um, but I do just want to thank HBO, who probably despise me right now. Um, I just want to thank you so much for bringing Edmer Tully back just for me because I've been tweeting about him and wrote like essentially a whole story about him um, recently because I it was one of the plot holes in the series that bothered me the most and then they brought him back and had the, him be such a doof and I love Tobias Menzies who's the actor who plays him who's going to be Prince Philip in the crown so it's, it's good news all around for Mr. Menzies. <laughs> so Brian why did you like it because I'm I, I you know it seems like you liked it but not like it was the spectacular finish. Yeah, it was fine. Um, I, th I but here's the thing: I don't know how how else they could have done it. I mean, with it, with, you know, in terms of wrapping everything up. I mean, I don't, I don't think it was ever going to be like some big battle was going to be the you know the last episode. That doesn't make any sense with the show. Um, the the politics of it, the kind of like the you know psychology, the kind of the character stuff, made the most sense for me as the finale. There's a lot of stuff that. I think, you know, kind of people ended up in interesting places. Some had good endings. Some had happy endings. Some had, you know, okay endings. There's a lot of stuff that seems strange in a moment, but if you make, if you think about them hard enough, Bran, oh, it didn't make a lot of sense, but it wrapped things up nicely enough. So I think, I don't think they could have done any better. I'm not sure how they could have done any better. I mean, I think there's certain things that, that certain characters could have 
put them in different places. But in terms of like making everybody happy, I think this was probably the best they could have done. Is it particularly jarring that it has a happy ending considering how like bleak and full of death this whole series has been? I mean, that was kind of my problem just in terms of like um, overall theme. It kind of changes the overall theme of the show, which was very misanthropic and nihilistic. And also one of the biggest themes from the books that was translated into the first few seasons of the show and then like the penultimate episode and then we forget about it is like this war is hell theme that you know these um rich nobles are all feuding over who gets to sit in the fancy chair and then all of these commoners are suffering um and they spend a lot of time on that in like season three um and then we get to this finale and they obviously like you know they they, like laugh at the idea of commoners which I mean it's not like they were going to like want democracy right away but it just felt very jarring considering how much time the show has spent being like you know care about those people and then also it was just like they kind of get they kind of just move on with something that's very similar but like it's like oh yes well pure absolute monarchy is terrible so let's throw a little oligarchy in here and then like everything's fine Let's invent the Electoral College and everything's fine. And then there were just a lot of logical lapses that bothered me. Like, I just don't think that it makes sense that Grey Worm would have let them let Tyrion live or even let them um, elect a king right there. The Unsullied controlled King's Landing. They could have just killed all those people sitting in that dragon pit if they felt like it. And, you know, they were mourning someone they loved. So I don't think they would have let John go. You know, I just... um, it's like, you know, oh, it's going to be war if we don't let John go to the Night's Watch. I'm like, yeah, but it's been war for a really long time. I can't imagine why now is the time you decide it's too hard to do war again. It's because the series had to end. You know, there was just like a lot of things like that. And um, the brand stuff bothered me the most, which I think we're going to talk about it in a second. But I mean, most of it, though, if you think about it, it, it will all make sense. I think, you know, if you look at the Unsullied, they don't really have a leader. Well, I mean, they have with Grey Worm, but I mean, kind of they've always been working under... And not like a, a grand person. So when you put somebody as a king like Bran, then they're going to probably listen to that person. And then Tyrion says, oh, well, we're just going to stick John at the Night's Watch. And the Night's Watch is like, you know, a red herring because they're just going to let, you know, he's just going to scoot up past the wall and, you know, be a wildling for the rest of his life. I think there's certain things like that that I I, I like because it was like, like Kelly said, it was kind of like this war is hell politics corrupts kind of like thing that's been throughout the whole show and i think this this episode shows the aftermath of that of what you know kind of what happens after war what happens you know what happens when they got you know after world war ii and you know you gotta you gotta figure out what to do with germany and we gotta figure out what to do with all the stuff that you know somebody's wrought and you know it's sometimes it's complicated it's just like you know sam's like sam invents democracy but everybody laughs at him because we're not there you know these people are not there yet you know the fact of like the electoral college is probably like a massive step forward for him john doesn't get a happy ending and and you know and there's stuff like you know it seems like Tyrion kind of gets a happy ending because you know he was marked for death that you know at, at some point and then afterward he becomes the hand of of bran and Bran kind of doesn't want to be king, and he doesn't really want to be the hand, but those people at that moment need to be in those positions for Westeros to move forward. And then you have, like, the little 
the meeting of the minds at the at the very end, you know, with um, Sam and and some other people whose name I can't. This is the council meeting. Yeah, the council meeting, and it's just like you got the master of coin who's a total asshole. It's things like that. Nothing's perfect. You know, the master of coin wants to put some brothels up. That's that's today's politics, man. There's people in Congress that probably would like to put up some extra brothels. It, it taps into politics in a really interesting way. And I think once the penultimate episode happened where, like, we had that one last battle to just, like, you know, dragons just, just incinerate innocence. And, like, you have to figure out what happens next. And they did a lot of interesting things there. Okay, let's talk about Bran. Because he was also one of my favorite memes on Twitter. Someone put a picture of him up and with the caption, uh... When you uh, don't contribute to the group project and still get an A. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you both were very surprised with how his character arc finished. What was it about the way his story ended that was so, I okay. guess, surprising, troubling, whatever you want to say it? There's like, everything's wrong with it. Um, the, one of the biggest problems with the final two seasons has been that I think probably as a, as a result that they're kind of working off of like George R. R. Martin's outline as opposed to like hundreds of pages of text is that they just try to get to a plot point without really taking much consideration for how to get there. So, you know, the more I thought about it after the finale, the more I think that maybe this is where Martin is going with Bran. Bran is the very first point of view character we get in the very first novel of the series. Um, and he has more like page time in the in the books than he had screen time in the show. So that being said, though, the way Bran is presented in the series doesn't really justify this. Um, he is not even in season five. Like when Tyrion was talking about how great his story was, I was like, his story wasn't even worth including in season five of this goddamn television show. Um, and I was like, oh, yes. And like, what about like Arya's learning how to like get a new face on her face? That's not particularly interesting. She killed the she killed the Night King. That's not interesting. That's not a great story. But Tyrion um, doesn't know that. I mean, I, that's that's the other Tyrion thing. Tyrion knows that she killed the Night King. What? Well, no, but Tyrion doesn't know the whole story, and I think Tyrion knows Bran's story, and I think Tyrion has to make the decision at that moment of like, how do I not die, and how do I put somebody in power that everybody's going to like or everybody's going to be fine with? Because it ain't going to be Sansa, because Sansa wants to be Queen of the North. It's not going to be Gendry. It's not going to be you know any of the of the Tullys. Samwell would have been fine, but again, you know, he ha- he wants to put democracy in, and everybody is not ready for that. I don't think he could have been like, well, let's just, you know, do Jon Snow, and then, you know, Grey Worm would have flipped out. In that moment, he was probably the most, the thing that, the guy that worked the best, and then Tyrion sold him the best, and that's what you got to do. It's politics. You got to sell, you got to sell the guy who might not be ready for that position. Well, the other problem is that Bran has these like all-seeing powers. So did Bran know that all of this was going to happen and then him end up king and so he didn't do anything about it? He is the one who stirred up the trouble about Jon's parentage in the first place and uh, told Sam and then made Sam tell Jon. And so did he know that it was going to get through the grapevine to Danny, and then Tyrion and Varys were going to find out and Danny that was going to be part of Danny's insecurity that led her to kill all these people that led John to kill her that led John to be you know what, I mean? what I'm saying is that like it, it makes it seem like he is uh, this villain, except like they don't like go through with that. Like that might have been a really interesting ending. Like, oh my God, no, it's just he's just a, a villain who happens to have magic powers who has the throne. But like they don't really like say anything about it. He's like, 
why do you think I came all this way? So it kind of seems like he knew he was going to be the king. But then, like, it's not like he seems that bad in that small council meeting. He just seems continuously weird and blank. And he's like, I'm going to use my magic powers to find the dragon. Um, and he has no personality. And that's the other pro- part problem is that they made this choice for him to completely have no personality. And, you know, no offense to Isaac Hempstead Wright, who is a great actor, had done great things with Bran before the writers took Bran's personality away. But it's just, like, hard to get behind or, like, to really connect with him in any scene ever since season seven. And so it was just, to me, it just felt like a weird, poor choice um, that didn't have enough to back it up in the series and then wasn't fully fleshed out in this ending because they, like, obviously didn't have enough time to do it. Um, so I think really the the biggest problems with this show as it ended comes down to the fact that they gave an episode order for seven episodes in season seven and six episodes in season eight, which they didn't have to do. HBO didn't mandate that. That comes from creators David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Why they did that, there are plenty of speculations about online. And, you know, I don't like to put words in people's mouths or make personal attacks. Um, I will say, I think it was a really bad decision overall. And I think even three more episodes last year and four more episodes this year could have done a lot of work and fixed a lot of the things really easily. It sounds like with Bran, they could have done something really interesting with him because he has these powers he, they could have done something with him like a puppet master level kind of guy who was kind of manipulating everything and then it's revealed in the end that he was kind of doing this the whole time that is an argument is like you could have set up everything with Brian a little bit better mm-hmm. but but i think i don't see him as like a malevolent guy i feel like kind of like he knew what was going to happen because he's you know he's all saying he's going to see the future or whatever and he just wasn't going to do anything about it he was just going to like let things play out and then, you know, and then he knew he would end up on the, you know, quote unquote, the throne. And then that's, you know, that's why he's like, well, you know, why do you think I came here or whatever? So I think I think he just wasn't going to get involved. He was like the watcher. The uh, yeah, yeah. He was just going to, like, let things happen. And then he knew where he was going to end up if he just kind of, like, stepped, you know, or just kind of, like, Left fat his alone. wheelchair, you know, for a while. Um, but I think, but it's also kind of like a thing where, you know, it's like, it's like medieval vice, you know, where he's just going to be like kind of the figurehead and like Tyrion's going to run the place. Well, that was always the case with yeah. the Hand of the King. So I think, yeah, so I think that's, the, and, but I think even more so with him because like Bran wants to go find dragons. Bran, you know, kind of like he's got his own weird stuff to handle and then Tyrion knows how to run the place. And I think that's, you know, again, that's that's probably the best way that that thing ends. Can we talk about the throne for a second though? We're probably going to have different, different, views of that scene but i think yes i I think that was a very interesting scene you could find a lot of stuff in let's set it up first like so what happens so john kills danny after trying trying to like find one like you know redeemable quality in her or you know mercy or remorse over all the people she killed and he can't and then so he pretends that he's like gonna be in love with her again and stabs her when he kisses her by the way that was so badly directed because i didn't actually show the moment when she got stabbed it really bothered me um it just i found that it seemed like this need for it to like be a surprise mean that they like sort of lost like the money shot of like the actual dagger going in so you just kind of hear a sound and you see her go (gasps) and then she like falls down and i found that it made it like a less exciting scene than it could have been but anyway and then 
Joe Gone the Dragon knows something's up, comes in, sees his mom. And there actually is a very emotional moment when he, like, noses her like a dog. And he's like, Mom, wake up. And I was like, this is this is the only moment I feel touched in this whole finale. <laughs> the CGI dragon. Um, it's a really cool dragon. Though. It is a really cool dragon. It looks awesome, yeah. I've criticized this show a lot, but it's almost always been for the writing and directing. This has one of the greatest below-the-line teams probably ever assembled in television. Hardest working, biggest, longest hours. I mean, the the costuming, the details in the costuming, all the way back to season one when their budget was so much smaller is is wild. And so I think that's that should totally be noted. Um, and I will say when I went to the premiere of the first episode back in April, um, uh, Benioff and Weiss gave a speech before the episode aired and they called out so many of their crew. It was really lovely. And everyone got a lot of um, applause and stuff. And everyone from HBO was there. They invited every single employee. Um, so it was really sweet. Um, but anyway, right. So Drogon comes in. He's mad. And then he melts the symbol of what killed his mother and not the man who actually did it. And like everyone's like, yeah, well, he was maybe Drogon knew he was a Targaryen, so he didn't want to kill him, which is like fine. It's just that like, yes, and that was very symbolic. But it's just like, I don't expect the dragon to know That's that, the pointy, dragon. That, that the pointy chair is a metaphor for all the troubles his mother has ever had. I think he wasn't going to roast John because... Whether it's because John was a Targaryen or whether kind of like he knew John was an okay guy and he was just kind of like pissed off in the moment that his mom's dead and he doesn't know why. And so, so I, th- I think you have to stretch it a little bit, you know. Does, did he know that, you know, it was a metaphor for, for all evils? Probably not. Did he just aim, just happen to aim that way? Probably. You so, know, so had to take out something. Um, I think that's kind of more of a like a, you know, the the show the show making something narratively happen, so it could do its own metaphors yeah. and like every other show been <laughs> ever. So I was fine with that. But I was more like, how did everything else around it get destroyed, and it's just sitting there fine? To me, that was more of the stretch. It's just like yeah. everything everything else is like <laughs> up. You know, just around that area, and like the throne's just like, "What up, buddies?" You know, see, and that's where I I thought the throne was going to be destroyed in the King's Landing assault, and Danny was just going to take power and didn't need the Iron Throne anymore. So, uh, which character ended in the best spot, in your opinion? Who had the best ending? Uh, I think Sansa and Tyrion. I think John John's ending probably is the best that could have happened for him. Just without, you know, I because I I did like the fact of like. You know, he is probably, you know, the one kind of like, other than Sansa probably, and Arya, the, the most heroic character. But he has to pay the consequences for, you know, doing what he has to do to save the the whole, you know, world pretty much. And, and he, you know, he takes it and he goes up, you know, north. I think that's probably the best, you know, it's not a happy ending exactly, but it's like the best thing that could happen to him for, for him. But I think in terms of like character arcs, I think Sans and Tyrion both, you know, I think those are the two strongest character arcs in the show. Those ended pretty well in this finale, I think. Yeah, um, Sansa's arc worked pretty well for me over the course of the series. There's like a lot that has had I had trouble with um, even down to this very last season, but the sort of the idea that she started out as this like very naive girl who was just going to do what she was told and like follow the the rules of society and marry someone and be happy because like that's the way the world works and then she obviously um completely changed 
into this different kind of woman when the world around her completely changed. And then that the way that she reacted to all this trauma is to sort of like zo- zoom in on her home and protect her home above everything else. That made a lot of sense to me. The one bit I was like when she was like, well, my kingdom is going to be independent i was like oh that prince of dorne maybe he was like well my kingdom should be independent too and like how about the how about the west how about the Vale? how about the reach but anywho that was how it had to narratively happen so it just happened that way but um sophie turner has just done the most amazing work over the series and it's so you know i i went back and watched all of it before this the eighth season premiered and it's so really wonderful to see her and all the kids but like her especially have grown um as an actress and take on more mature and bigger scenes as the show went on um you know i wish she had um had a little more to do in the finale um but the finale was very flat to me in general, so that was part of the problem. But her, one of the cool things I noticed, because you know, she, they always talk about how she makes all her own clothes. So all of her clothes are even more symbolic than other people's. In that final scene, she's like finally wearing a light color again. So maybe that was like a, a very nice indicator that maybe it's like finally spring, which was very nice. Although winter didn't seem to mean that much, anyway. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of talk after the end of season five about <clears throat> you know. The writers were basically getting ready to move past everything that was written in the books. Um, And although we see it kind of pop up here and there in later seasons, ultimately, now that the series is done, did it help or hurt at all not having the books to lean on for those last couple seasons? I think it did both. When So it essentially finished with the book material in season five, although some of the Greyjoy storyline in season six was from book four that they had just kind of rearranged the order of. Um, But by and large, they finished with book material at the end of season five. Season six, I think, is really well done. And at the time, I felt like it had all this momentum and was it almost felt like it was free and it was like not afraid to just like go places and do things. Um, And there is a lot of Martin's books that are very plotting. And then when we got to season seven, it went way too far in that direction and to the stuff that I've been talking about where it got to narrative point without really spending any time to justify it. So, you know, I think, like I said earlier, it's the episode order that really killed them. I think it was harder to make the show probably after they lost the books as guidance. I think they made they certainly made a lot of bad decisions and also I think maybe they were a little better at adapting than they were at just writing themselves it's two different skills but you know I don't I think it's a little reductive to say like oh it's good because of the stuff that Martin came up with and bad at the stuff that he didn't come up with I think the cardinal sin was the episode order how bad Brian do you think the episode order I mean do you do you think it mattered at all I mean I never read the book so I don't know um, I, I think, you know, the leftovers went beyond the book. And I thought that was going to be a total show. But it understood the concept of of the book. So I think it was fine. And then it, it like went to some interesting places. I don't know how, you know, again, I've never read a Game of Thrones book. So I friggin don't know. I, w- I mean, I would, ima- I would I would think that they would like, you know, George R. R. Martin would like tell them, hey, you should go here. You should go here. You should go there. You, should, you know, he would have more of a thing to do with it i don't know i think you know for me the show you know not just the last season but the whole show in itself works 
as a you know it you know there's it goes to weird places and you know there's certain things that it it does well and it and it, then certain things it doesn't but on the whole i think it works so i don't know yeah i think um Martin's relationship to it is very interesting because he was super involved in the first few seasons. He wrote episodes. He wrote my very favorite episode, which is the Battle of the Blackwater in season two. Um, He's come out and said that there are certain elements that have aired in the show since it passed the books that are directly from the books, like the Hodor hold the door moment. He like, after that episode aired, was like, yeah, yeah, that, that came straight from me. But he hasn't taken responsibility for all the other plot points, you know what I mean? And he always talks about this butterfly effect that like the series and the books are super different because every time the series makes a little change, they have to then follow through with that little change they made and that may lead to a bigger change, you know? So they cut out this minor character in season one and then he brightens that character back in book five because he's like that. Um, And so then they have to account for it. So I think he was reticent to say too much because essentially... It's, it's like a focus group for him. I mean, if he decides to finish the books, and there's no guarantee that he will. I mean, he says that he will, and it just, it's been taking a long time, you know. Um, I, I mean, I talked to him in December, um, and he says he's working on it. But if he does, whether or not the reaction to the television show changes what he writes will be very interesting. We'll never know. He's not going to say if it did. Um, I don't know if it makes him more or less excited to keep writing um but there's like there's so much stuff going on in the books at this point where we left off in the books that is not in the show there's a whole other contender from the iron throne named young griff um and they he would have been uh danny's brother if he is not a pretender but people think he's a pretender since he was cut out of the show entirely um one of the big criticisms i kept seeing on twitter was a lot of it felt rushed. The last season felt rushed. The finale felt rushed. Um, and that was magnified by the fact that you'd see things like a Starbucks cup in a, on a table in one scene or you'd see the water bottle. And I think it was in the finale. Yeah, that was in the finale. Um, do you think it's rushed? And is I mean, is there any explanation? Is it just about they just didn't have enough episodes to work with to fill this out? Or there was the announcement to a couple years ago that the creators are working on a Star Wars movie as well. I mean... You know, first off, do you feel it's rushed? Do you feel like they rushed through some stuff maybe more than they should have? Yeah. I mean, the the Starbucks cup and the water bottle thing, I don't really know how that happened. I mean, it happened to Downton Abbey. Well, it didn't happen. It wasn't in the show, but it was in a promotional photo, and Downton Abbey got a lot of flack. Um, it happens. Yeah. You know, I think I think the, the you know these TV shows are massive, and they got all kinds of people running around, and, you know, a coffee cup's going to end up in a scene. And we uh, we all can make memes out of it. Yeah, it wrinkles people more on shows like Thrones and Downton Abbey where people talk about, like, historical accuracy, even though Thrones is fantasy. It's, like, based on medieval times, right? So it's, like, they are always talking about how accurate they want to be and all that stuff, and then you see that. And so it's, like, oh, well, that's annoying. You know, like, if uh, you wouldn't, A, in, like, a modern set show, you wouldn't notice a straight coffee cup that wasn't actually supposed to be in the scene. Um and B, if the, you know, like if Mad Men had done it, we would also have been really annoyed at them, I think. But maybe not Pan Am on ABC. <laughs> <laughs> have the creators come out and explained why they wanted to go with shorter seasons? They've both? just said that it's because that's how they wanted to end the story. And like HBO has been like, you know, whatever they need. Um, I think 
it's 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 hard. I I am not their biggest fans. I've never been shy about that, but I will not deny that this is an incredible achievement and something that is so difficult. I can't imagine possibly doing it. I don't know if there are a lot of people in television who could have done it even to completion, let alone to critical satisfaction. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly why. Some There's speculation about they wanted to move on to Star Wars. That's complete speculation. I don't know. Uh, am I worried about Star Wars? I've been worried about Star Wars since they were announced to be part of it. It doesn't seem like something that they should be doing based on their writing style. Um, they're not... Their writing style is something that I feel comfortable judging and criticizing, and I don't like it. So I don't really want it in my Star Wars. Um, so let's look big picture in terms of the legacy of the show, in terms of where it sits historically among TV. We'll start with Brian. How do you think history is going to look at Game of Thrones? I think it's going to look at it really well. I think, I think you know, no one or two episodes, even if people don't like it, is going to taint a show's legacy, period. I think, that, you know, for me, that's like looking at the ending of Wonder Woman, which is terrible, and saying, well, that kind of sucked, so the whole movie should be thrown out. I, th- I think that doesn't make sense to me. I think the finale had just happened, so I think people have to whinge about it because there's, ne- you know, about how there's never going to be another Thrones and TV's doomed and the apocalypse is happening and we're never going to, ke- you know, watch stuff the same way again. Something else is going to come along. I think, you know, it's... It, like a Lost or, a, you know, The Wire or something else will capture people's attention in a, in a way like Thrones has in a surprising way that people didn't see. And, you know, everybody will move on. And I think, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be probably to like, you know, five years or something. But I think people will look back on Thrones and be like, you know, you know that changed television or that, you know, that was, that was friggin' awesome or, you know, kind of that was one of the best shows ever. I just think we're too, we're too close to, you know, and I think there's too many people just like, upset at it right now to kind of really remove themselves and see you know really what they did over eight seasons with fucking dragons you know kelly what about you legacy of game of thrones what do you th- how do you think it's going to hold up i think some finales definitely in terms of zeitgeist tarnish the show's reputation a little bit certainly that happened to how i met your mother for a lot of people it happened to lost although i still love what i loved about lost um i think for some for some people it might tarnish. I don't know. We have to. There needs to be a little time to find out if the like anger um, lasts. But uh, I have to. I have to say that like because television is changing so rapidly um, in terms of technology and who is making it, how and uh, how much money they're spending on it and where it's being distributed. Um, I don't know if we actually will ever have a show like Game of Thrones again that airs weekly. So we might have a really big show. That we that does capture our attention, but it won't do it in the exact same way because it won't be uh, appointment television anymore. Um, it's just there are so many options. We're um, nicheifying constantly, and even stuff that is, you know, really well known and popular on streaming, like like Stranger Things. We actually know Stranger Things has a really big audience because Nielsen was like, F you Netflix and we're going to do real ratings. And of the ratings they've done, Stranger Things has been by far the most popular. But we don't, there isn't like a morning where we're all talking about Stranger Things and every plot detail from it because people watch it at their leisure. Even if they watch it over the first weekend, they watch it all on Friday night. Well, this year it's going to be a Thursday. But anyway, do they watch it all the first night? Do they watch it the next morning? Do they watch half of it and then save half of it for the next weekend because they love it so much and they want to savor it like I did with Fleabag? Um, so 
and since I think like with Thrones spoilers, there's very little etiquette because it's like if you don't see it on Sunday nights, tough luck. But with streaming shows, I think people act more like they do with like Marvel movies because, again, when and how you see it is up to you. So, you know, there's a little more conscientiousness. So I just don't think that the cultural zeitgeist is ever going to be captured the same way again. You know, I think um, one of my favorite TV critics, uh, Matt Solar Seitz, who worked for uh, New York Magazine, said it like the best is like this is the last show we're going to watch together it's not the last show we'll all see but it's the last show we're going to watch like as a collective community um which is sad and like that's what i'm going to miss most about it is that it was so unifying and it was unifying over television which i love so much and i love talking about it even if sometimes i wanted people to read my recaps before they asked me about it and um i loved that it was so important to so many people because television has been so important to me in so many ways for most of my life. Um, so that's something that I will miss. And I think that's something that we, that we'll look back at the history of television and be like, yeah, remember the last event show that was game of Thrones. Um, I do think it's changing what is being made and we can see that in very obvious ways. Like when Jeff Bezos told Amazon to go find the next Game of Thrones and they spent $250 million just on the rights to create a Lord of the Rings series and then also went out and bought the rights to The Wheel of Time, which is a f- high fantasy series by Robert Jordan. Um, so, and there's been so many imitators on television already. Failures like The Bastard Executioner, pretty good shows like The Vikings and Black Sails. Um, Last Kingdom, which is on Netflix, none of them have been as massive, but the lesson that television uh, producers seem to be taking from this is fantasy genre, which is not actually the lesson, even though I love fantasy. It's like when uh, Deadpool came out and they were just like, let's make everything R-rated. You know what I mean? Like, that's not why it was popular. Game of Thrones had this unifying thing and there's like a lot of different reasons, but like Game of Thrones sort of took the place where Breaking Bad had been before, where The Sopranos had been before that. Like those aren't the same shows. And the next Game of Thrones, I honestly think, will have nothing to do with high fantasy. It'll be something that captures our attention because it's unique and well-written and well-acted and it will be exciting to find it. But if any TV developers listen to me, they don't. It will be something different for sure. Try but, something different. But I, th- I think there will be an event show. I mean, this is not the last event show. There will be more. Okay, listeners, your turn. What did you think of the Game of Thrones finale? Did it live up to your expectations? Have you signed any petitions related to this? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, or you can tweet at us individually. I'm at Brett Molina 23 I'm at Brian Truitt. And I'm at K-Lals, K-L-A-W-L-S. And don't forget, you can email us too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Uh, that'll wrap it up this week. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, special thanks to our pilots slash producers of The Mothership, Shannon Green and Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to The Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, we would love a rating or a review because we love the feedback and you'll get a special shout out on our next show. So it is greatly appreciated. Um, if Apple Podcasts aren't your thing, you can also find us on SoundCloud or Stitcher or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Um, that's it. A post-Game of Thrones era. Unbelievable. Uh, Until next week, nerds out. Later. Bye.